Well, good morning. It's so good to see each one of you here today. And I just wanted to just tell you this morning, I, I, it's funny because the Lord had given uh, on my heart the continue in the uh, Galatians 5 were the fruits of the Spirit. And I said, you know, Lord, I said, it's Palm Sunday. And, you know, I thought I may need to do something that connected with Palm Sunday, and then he clicked. Well, it does. Here it is. That Jesus goes through Jerusalem on a donkey. And the people are crying out Psalm 118. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. You'll find the story in Matthew 21, Luke 19, Mark 12. All the Gospels, not the Gospels, have this story. But they're praising Jesus and waving palm branches. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And as I thought about that and, and, and thought about that here less than a week later He'd be hanging on the cross, that God revealed to me how that is aptly applied to the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits that are worth displaying. If you have your Bibles, I ask that you turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 26. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. If you do not have your Bibles, you can follow with us on the screen. And I ask that you stand with me as we read the Word of God. Galatians 5, 5, Galatians 5, 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have been crucified the flesh and with the passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. You may be seated. I wanted to begin with that word, but. Now, if you remember, week before last, that we had talked about this, it is a word of contrast. And we should ask why that word, but, is being said. If you go back to verse 17, you do not have to uh, follow with me, but listen. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but, the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit. This morning I'm going to go through the fruits of the Spirit. And I ask that you please pay attention to what I say. Because how this ties into Palm Sunday is those people who were waving palm branches were fans of Jesus and not followers. You say, what do you mean? 
Right now, the Jews are under oppression through Roman rule. And what they were wanting was an immediate relief to their circumstance. They wanted an earthly Messiah, an earthly king, who would rid them of this oppression from the wicked people of Rome. But Christ came to rid the world of the oppression of sin. And what would happen a week later was they would turn on him. Why? Because they didn't get what their flesh desired. You see, the difference in the fruits of the Spirit and the fruits of the flesh are this. The fruits of the flesh are me, me, me. But the fruits of the Spirit are Christ, Christ, Christ. So how do you know that you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ? Your fruits will show. You see, as I said two weeks ago, the one thing about a fruit tree is you don't have to force it to produce fruit. It will produce it on its own. Why? Because it's a fruit tree. A fruit tree that produces fruit is a profitable tree because it does what it's supposed to do. So Jesus would make also this illustration that there is a difference between those that do and those that don't. You see, and I think about this, that even in my life, and in many situations, I wanted things to go my way. Now, I know that you being like me have done the same thing. I sometimes, when things haven't gone my way, have pouted. Maybe thrown a temper tantrum maybe revealed a lot of things about me because, again, I am Chad-focused. And this is what is happening here. What they saw as a great need on Palm Sunday was something that they misunderstood, that their need was greater. They were separated from Christ. So how do you know that you're a fruit tree that produces good fruit. Because as Paul will say in Galatians, the but tells you a lot of things. But the fruits of the Spirit. And I talked about this, and this is as far as I went the other day, but the first fruit that we see is love. Now this word for love, and I shared with you, there's three words that are prominently used in the New Testament for love is eros, which is erotic love, phileo, which is brotherly love, and agape, which is godly love. What this love that Paul is saying is, this is the love that is an unconditional love that God commands of all of us. Love your neighbor as yourself. But what I want you to understand with each one of these fruits, beginning with this first one, is this is something that is supernatural, not natural. See, when you have been saved by the blood of Christ, He gives you a new nature. As I have in our Sunday school class on the board, your want-tos change. Because that new nature that is in you is contrary to the nature of the world. You see where I'm going with this? You are a follower of Christ. 
You have placed your faith and trust in Him. You have repented of your sins. And there's a new nature. Why? Because Jesus told Nicodemus, a very religious man, what? You must be born again. So if you are born again, as that flesh gives birth to flesh, yes, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So you have changed. Your whole being will change, right? And the first thing is to love, agape, unconditionally. Because Christ loved you. A sacrificial love. They can only come supernaturally by the grace of God. Well, Chad, what, what do you mean? You know, sometimes I don't think we understand what love is. I have often shared this in marriages when people talk with me before they're married. That unfortunately today, in today's society, people treat marriage like they do cars. That after about five or six years, let's trade one in for another one. I'm not saying that's always the case, but look, that's the mentality that we've been shown. Give me what I want and give it to me now. But a true love that is born out of a passion for Christ, an unsacrificial love, is a love that never ends. And that should be the reflection of all believers. Does your fruit tree have love? Joy! Now I don't think it's coincidence that Paul would include joy behind love. You see, there's a difference in joy and happiness, and I want to share that this morning. We talk about this quite often, but I want to go a little deeper. Happiness is an emotional response to something that may or may not happen to your circumstance. Let me give you an example. Somebody gives you $500, that makes you happy. But once you've spent that $500, you're no longer happy. Somebody may give you something, somebody may do something that gives you a moment of happiness. But see, happiness is temporary based on your circumstance. Am I wrong? Happiness is based on your circumstances. Joy is not external, but it's internal that you are celebrating regardless of your circumstance. Big difference. Okay? Now, let me, let me clear this up for you. James says that we should consider the joy when we go through trials or tribulations. You'll find that in the book of James. That's Jesus' half-brother. Y'all know that? Okay, he wrote that. How are joys and trials, or how are trials and tribulations joy? He didn't say happiness. He said joy. Why? It's not the joy that you're in the trial. It's the joy of knowing who walks with you through it. Amen? Amen. Big difference. Joy is something that can only be supernaturally given by the Father. Period. And it's a joy that you will rejoice knowing who holds your hands regardless of the circumstance. I have to have a procedure Tuesday. I'm not happy about it. But I know regardless that Christ is going to walk with me regardless of the circumstances. He hasn't let me down so far and He won't. I don't want to be temporarily happy. 
I want to be eternally joyful. That's why it accompanies the second after love. Because once you understand the love of Christ, then you know what it means to have joy. Number three. Peace. I want you to think about this for a few moments. Peace. Now I'm going to spend a few minutes on this. Because the Hebrew word is shalom. It's equivalent in the Greek is Irene. Now bear with me. In the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament translated into Greek, it parallels shalom with Irene. Well-being. Uh, let, me, let me just put it to you this way. What peace means, by its definition and context, is that which is apart has been reconciled. Do you have peace with Christ? Because if you've known the love of Christ and the joy that is found in Him, you will have peace in Him. That which was at war is now at peace. You see, I often tell people that there's no greater peace than I know that if I laid my head down at night and God take me out of this world, I'm in His presence. Not everybody has that peace. Because they don't understand or know the love of Christ. If you have the love of Christ, and you have the joy that is given by the blood paid on that cross, you have a peace that won't start a war back over again, but it's a peace that's eternal. Countries war back and forth. Families fight. Friends fight. But let me tell you something. The peace of Christ is eternal. Do you have it? You see, my grandpa used to say something that he believed that even in trials and tribulations that God will give you the peace that you need when you need it. And I thought about that many times. There's been times that I know in my fleshly side that I get nervous. But I can promise you that regardless of whatever circumstance I in, God give me what I needed when I needed it. And I promise you He will do the same to you. Do you have peace? Do you have patience? Patience. Now this is a good one. I've heard many people say, Chad, I do not ask God for patience because He will give me opportunities to be patient. Maybe that's what you need. Let me tell you what patience means. Long-tempered. You see, I thought about this when I got to this fourth fruit, and I thought about those who wave the palm tree or palm branches. Jesus, do it now. My way. Bring this to an end. How many times do we get mad at people even in traffic because they didn't go right when the light turned green? I kind of laughed at this because I knew a man that professed to be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ that told me he didn't put Christian symbols on the back of his car so he didn't want people to know who he was when he had road rage. Ooh, I got some grunts, didn't I? Is that you? What about when people don't get things as quick as you do? 
See, sometimes even in evangelism, we expect people to be saved right now. Why won't they be saved right now? Let me tell you something. First and foremost, everything's in God's time and not ours. Which means that His time and His place and His point will bring things to the way He wants them when He wants them. We're not going to force or hurry that. Do you have patience with people? But you don't understand, Chad. People get on my nerves. You probably get on theirs. But understanding that the person that is a fruit, that has the fruit of patience, understands that yet while we were sinners, God was patient with us. Don't ever forget that. Because I'm going to tell you something. By God's justice, He should have struck me down many years ago. I don't deserve anything. You know, I often think that when we get to that idea of patience, it's okay as long as it's applicable to other people. You're the most impatient person I've ever seen. Let me, let me go ahead and clear this up for you. One day, my wife and I were at a restaurant in Greer. We lived here the first time before we moved to PA. And we were talking to the waiter, built a little relationship with him. We were talking to him. We asked him, what was the worst day that he, he wanted to work? You know what he said? Sundays. I said, why is that? He said, because I don't like church people. Because they want what they want now. See, he began to sit on the cross from us and began to start a conversation. To be quite honest with you, I wasn't prepared for that, but here we go. He said, you don't understand. Man, they're always so demanding. Then they'll, then they'll, then they'll scream and holler and, and fuss and then pray before their meal and leave me a dollar or a track. Now this is not a rabbit trail I want to go down, but I'm going to make a statement. Look, if you're going to treat people like that at a restaurant, please don't pray before you meal and ruin it for the rest of us. I had to throw that out there. People should never question <clears throat> who we are based on how we respond to things. Not everybody's going to agree with us, but like I'm saying, if you act like a jerk and you don't have patience with people, it kills your testimony, guys. And this is to me too. We're all human. Don't think, well, Chad never gets upset with the restaurant. I guarantee you, if somebody puts onions on my chili cheeseburger, I'm not happy. <laughs> but there's a way to say, is there any way I could get one? That waitress didn't cook that food. That person that is struggling to understand certain things when you explain in the gospel didn't come to a clear understanding like you did. Because here's what I want you to understand. In, when it comes to patience, God works in His time. And if we understood that, we would be patient with other people. Because they need it. Not everybody runs at the same speed. So we should be understanding... And people always want to throw out, what about the patience of Job? Read further, his patience run out too. But our lives should respect a tolerance and a long-tempered attitude of us. Because Christ 
was long-tempered to us. First Peter 2.23 says, While being reviled, listen, He did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. Even in the midst of rebuke, be patient. Even in the midst of turmoil, be patient. You never know who God's going to use for His glory. Be patient. Five, kindness. Being helpful and beneficial is an inner desire to give without wanting something in return. You hear me? There's no excuse why we can't be kind to one another. We ought to be the kindest people in the world. When somebody comes through that door, they should be met with kindness. Chad, do you not have bad days? Yes, I do. But there is no reason why I can't be kind to my fellow brothers and sisters. There's no need, there's no reason, even people that don't believe like I do, that I should not treat them with kindness. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even the unbelievers we should treat with kindness. It doesn't mean we agree with their doctrine, but it means that we approach them just like Jesus did, with love, patience, and kindness. Be ye kind one to another. I have met some miserable people in my life. And I know you know some of these people. They wouldn't get out of the electric chair to be kind to anybody. Let me tell you something. That is a trait also that can kill your fruit or your testimony quicker than anything. How you treat other people. I sometimes think about this. A gentle answer will turn away wrath. You ever thought about that? How you speak and treat people, regardless of the circumstance, is how we as believers are to treat one another. And I keep coming back to Christ. If there was anybody that does not deserve love, it's me. If anybody that does not deserve joy, it's me. As Paul would say, of sinners, I am the chief. I shouldn't have peace. I don't deserve it. That's what grace is. It's unmerited favor. Giving you what you don't deserve by the goodness of God. Who are we not to show that in return? Being kind to one another. Are you kind? Goodness. Moral living. Do we live morally? You know, I thought about this one. Something that you have heard me say quite often. That there's two reasons why people don't become Christians. Number one, they say they had not never seen one. Or number two, they say they have. Listen to me. It can take your testimony years to build and only a few minutes to destroy. A few minutes.
You see, as I've said, that fruit of goodness, we're all going to fail. But our failures should never be an excuse to continue failing. We're going to make mistakes. Christians do. They fail. They sin. But Christians learn from their sin. They turn from it and they press on. If you get off that path, you get back on it. But I want you to understand that we have to live as the Scriptures tell us to live. And no, you will never make it to the perfection of Christ, but your desire should be. As you heard me preach to our, our new ordained pastor over here, that you can learn from a lot of people, but be like Jesus. Men are flawed. And we can learn a lot of examples from a lot of biblical characters. But the greatest example in Scripture is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who was sinless. Do we live moral lives? Seven, faithfulness. Pressing on to the end, leaning on Christ. There's a song that says, May who all who come behind us find us faithful. I've often told people, you've heard this, me say this many times, that our lives should be lived as those who come behind us said they really believed Christ was who He says He was and they pressed on to the end. That every one of you should be like me when you leave this world, that you were known as a cross-eyed rock and roll Christian. Your eyes were on the cross, your foot's on the rock, and your name's on the roll. Amen? The faithfulness to press on even when things didn't look like you could have faith. Because here's the thing with the modern world. What the people that wave palm branches were looking for, they were looking for a man to overthrow another man. But what they did not see was a man who was fully man, yet fully God, who had the power to overthrow sin. That's where they missed it. Brothers and sisters, as Hebrews 10 uh, 23 tells us, hold unswervingly to the faith that you possess, for he that promised is faithful. That means steadfast on the path, not turning either way, but continually leaning on the garment of Jesus Christ. How many of you have seen the movie Patriot? Remember the statement he kept saying? Stay the course. Stay the course. Stay the course. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that should be a big fruit that you should display continuously, that you stay the course. People will turn on you. I can promise you. Remember that, like I've said, that before they hated you, they hated Christ first. People will turn on you in an instant. People are fickle. Trust me. They turned on Jesus. But you stay faithful you have to understand that the world that we live in is sinful. As Leonard Ravenhill said, when Jesus was born, there was no room for Him in the inn. He was born in a stable. As He got older, there was no room for Him in His family. When He died, there was no room for Him in the city. So if they could not get along with the holiest man in the world, what makes you think they're going to get along with you? You hold unswervingly that faith you possess because He that promised is faithful. Faithfulness, staying the course.
Number eight, gentleness. Gentleness. Let me put it to you this way. Strength under control. Meekness. I'm going to tell you something. It's okay to be gentle. Even when everybody is not gentle with you. It is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. You see, this culture has wimpified Christ. Did you know that? We've wimpified Christ. This poor old man that hung on a cross, bless his little heart. Bless his heart. Brothers and sisters, that's not the gospel. He who knew no sin became sin willfully. And God's wrath was poured out upon him. He was beaten. Isaiah 53 says he was crushed. And many people have said Jesus cried in the garden because he was afraid of the Roman cross. Are you kidding me? There are Christians who have gone with the cross on their back, singing joyfully. And you think the Savior of man was going and crying because of a cross? You know what he's crying for? Because he is going to face the wrath of God. He that knew no sin became sin. Jesus said, may this cup pass from me. What was in the cup? The wrath of God. He wept tears for you. Jesus was not a wimp. And even in the course of being beat, He stood up and carried His own cross. And He did it for you. He did it for me. But yet His hand was gentle enough to take a woman at the well who the whole world turned against and said, I got good news for you. The same Jesus that calls Lazarus from the tomb. Come forth, Lazarus. The same Jesus who has been betrayed by the world and even his own people was gentle enough to say, I am the way and the truth and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but by me. Are we gentle in how we respond to others even in the face of adversity? You know, even on the cross, that this same group of people that nailed Him there, who spit on Him, who pulled his beard, who put a crown of thorns on him, mocked him, stripped him, gambled for his clothes. I don't know about you, but I don't think most people would reply, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
even in the face of adversity, He forgives them. And He forgives us. The same gentle Jesus that forgive the thief on the cross will forgive you. And it's not nothing we've done to earn it. But yet through His mercy. So if He can return us, or He can be gentle with us, who are we not to be gentle with other people? And last, I want you to look at number nine, self-control. What makes you snap? I want you to think about this for a few moments. How many times have we heard the saying, well, they lost all control? Something hit that mark. Everybody has a breaking point. You heard that? They pushed my buttons. I want to share with something with you that I hope you never forget. Listen to me really well. Never use time and words carefully because neither one can be retrieved. Self-control. You see, that self-control, just like the rest of the eight fruits, are supernatural by the power of God. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot walk away from temptation on your own. You know why? Because you'll give in. You need the Holy Spirit to guide you and convict you. And see, these fruits that I have listed here today are the fruits of a believer. Now, I am not going to tell you that we'll all again fail with one of them. We fail. But the difference in when we fail is we recognize that failure and we turn and repent and ask God to lead us on. That's the heart of a believer. Because I don't want you to say, Chad's got it perfect. You don't live with me. My son has often told me I'm too transparent. But listen, I, I want you to understand, I want you to think about this. And I'm going to give you my testimony, okay, real quick. And I looked at all these fruits, and I couldn't help it. Some of you have heard it, some of you have not. But I want to give you my testimony. You see, I was raised in the church. Southside Baptist Church, right up the road. And man, I was baptized at eight years old. I went in the water of a dry center and came out a wet one. Okay? My life did not change. See, I believed that Jesus, but I didn't believe in Jesus. Big difference. And a lot of our churches are here today that's like that. I thought I was grandfathered in. Man, I got baptized, I'm good. I said a prayer, hey, I'm good. You know, we're all good. But my life did not reflect change. Didn't reflect any fruit. And as I grew up, it got worse. See, I used to have a gambling problem. Man, I borrowed money from everybody. I went to stores. I went to banks and finance places because I had to feed my habit of gambling. My wife prayed for me. You see, I give false fruit. But here's the thing. Can an orange fruit produce lemons? Okay. Why not? It's not a... Lemon tree. But I tried to produce that. You see, I'd come and act one way and then go home and act another. 
blow my paycheck, owed everybody. Struggling. But I'd go to church. Hallelujah. But outside the church is where the false fruit would come in. Well, people can see a tree that bears false fruit. Okay? And as I began to grow in my false fruit, a man invited me to his church. Jim Sunshine Frazier. He's going to be with Jesus now. He said, Chad, I want you to come. I said, I, I, okay. So me and my wife went. And that preacher preached on John 3.16. Every one of you know it. But what a lot of people don't know is who John or Jesus was speaking to in John 3.16. You see, it's a discourse between a religious man named Nicodemus. And Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And it got on me. He said, there's some people sitting here, he said, that think you have a relationship with Christ, but you don't. You don't believe in Jesus, you believe that Jesus. And that got on me. So that day after church, my, my, I'm, I'm shot. And even me, my wife will tell you, and y'all know me now, I'm never at a loss for words. So we go home and I'm miserable, I'm in my bathroom. And my wife, and I'm in there longer than I'm supposed to be, even for me. And my wife comes in and knocks on the door. She says, you okay? I said, no. What do you mean? I said, I'm lost. I do not have a relationship with Christ. I know Christ, but He don't know me. And I fell on my face that, that day in my bathroom. And I cried out for God for mercy. And he gave it to me. And that's why I'm here today. You see, like I told people when we was missionaries for 10 years in, in Pennsylvania, yeah, I'm not from here, you can tell by my accent. But the reason I'm here is because one day Jesus Christ made a difference in my life, and I promise you he can make a difference in yours. And here's the thing that happened. Listen to me. I went producing false fruit, which never was fruit at all, to producing the fruits of the Spirit. Why? Not because of anything that I've done. Listen to me. Not because of me. Because He who lived in me. He changed me. And the evidence of fruits of the Spirit is your life has changed. Hear me please. That if you are born again believer in Jesus Christ, He has made a difference in your life. Your want-tos change. Because the things I didn't want to do, I want to do now. I want to tell people about my Savior who saved my soul. I want people to come in fellowship with us. I want to be here with you. You know why? Because I want to worship my Savior with you. I want to see people saved. I want to see people baptized. I want to see people that walk out that door and say, You know what? You may take away my life, but you won't take away my Jesus. That's fruit, people. That's fruit. But I want you to hear me very clearly. I did not make it grow. Christ made it grow in me. So the question you've got to ask yourself today is this. Am I a fruit tree or a withered fig tree? Does your life produce fruit? Chad, I don't think that's being fair. I think that's being more than fair. 
For what profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? Many people will come next week to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many people will come and say, oh, we have the, we have the purple robe, the cross. But let me tell you something, that's only part of the gospel. The gospel is while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We need to tell people why He rose from the dead. But most importantly, we need to tell people why He died. Because I can promise you, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. And I promise you that those fruits, we may get a worm in one of them every now and then. But I can promise you this, that fruit's going to grow bright and it's going to keep reproducing. Amen? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for the grace and mercy. God, I'm a weak tree at best. But Lord, what I do know, it's not me that causes the fruit. It's You. Lord, I pray today, if there's one that does not have a relationship with You, that Lord, they do. Lord, we don't know when we're going to leave this earth. But Lord, we can know how we leave it. God, You know my heart. I'm not perfect. Lord, I can't do anything. I can't save a soul. I can't change the world. But Lord, I know that You can. And Lord, I'm not going to stand up here and lie and say I'm not concerned about the condition of this country, the condition of the, the American church, the condition of our community. The condition of anybody's soul? But Lord, I know without a shadow of a doubt, if you can raise Lazarus from the dead, you can raise the spiritual dead and make him walk in you. God, you're the one that gives light. You're the one that gives the seed that bears forth the fruit within all of us. And God, may we examine ourselves that we see that we are fruit producers. And God, the fruit that you produce is the ripest on the vine. God, I pray if there's a Christian here today that is struggling, that Lord, you just lift them up. That that is why we're here. We're not saints, singular. We're saints which are committed to serving you with all our heart, soul, and mind. And Lord, to lift up brothers and sisters. We're to lift up other churches. God, I'm in not, I'm not in competition with nobody. But Lord, I just pray that people come to a saving relationship with You, that they produce fruit, and Lord, when they produce fruit, that others produce fruit. And it's a continual cycle run on by the Holy Spirit when people cry out, what must I do to be saved? God, I thank You. I thank You for taking this poor sinner who was a depraved, gambling, lying man and transforming him. Because God, I could not do it on my own. But God, you change me. And you can change anyone. There's none of us. I know there's probably people here, or people out in the world that say, you don't know what I've done, God. There's nobody too far from your reach. Your psalmist David said it clearly. Where can I go to escape your presence? Wherever I may go, you are there. God, there's nobody out of reach. 
They may be people here who said, you, but you still don't know what I've done. God, that's the awesome thing about your forgiveness. That no matter what we've done, we cry out for forgiveness. You cleanse it as far as the east is from the west. Lord, I love you. And I thank you for this church, this community, this family, and this temporary home. But God, one day we're going home. And Lord, I pray that everyone in here has the peace that only you can give. Lord, we love you and we praise your name and all God's people said, stand and worship with us as we sing.